Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hey, hey, hey. We're here and we're not far away on the road. We are in New York City in Manhattan on the Upper West Side with our son and daughter-in-law, our two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and our baby granddaughter. Oh, my goodness. These are live wire kids, Linda. These... How did we? How did we do it? How did we get through a day, a single day, with these little little people? I don't know. We're exhausted at the end of the day, but they just go, 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 go. It's pretty amazing. We really we're going to talk about. We have an interesting title today: Island Parenting, and Manhattan Island is the one we're going to start with. Oh well, we we actually submitted that title because. We've been down in the Caribbean on the island of Barbados, a gorgeous island, and we noticed some really interesting parenting patterns among the parents we were visiting with there. And like you say, Linda, we're now on Manhattan Island, which, by the way, just a little trivia, is only 2.4 miles wide and 13 miles long. We were just thinking how interesting it would be if you took Manhattan Island and put it right in the middle of Bear Lake. In Idaho. <laughs> well, Utah and Idaho. <laughs> and you'd have an island, and then you'd have about two miles of water on each side. It's absolutely incredible to think you could look out <clears throat> on the lookout at Bear Lake and have this whole Manhattan Island stuck in the middle of Bear Lake. So, anyway... So back back to the island. The the interesting thing about island parenting, kids are a little freer there. They just kind of run around and kind of do what they want and play on the beach. And parents seem to be pretty relaxed. I think they're pretty relaxed on everything on Barbados, don't you? I do too. All those islands, St. Lucius, although there are complications, you know. Um, we did stay with a family with a charming two-and-a-half-year-old that stole our heart and then a darling seven-year-old and a 12-year-old who are just absolutely incredible children, had every opportunity in life to do whatever they wanted, but they had such a hard um, background. They have so much baggage. One, The oldest two little boys were the result of uh, first marriage where the husband became abusive and alcoholic and it was just so, such a sad story, and they were just trying to recover from it. Um, the second marriage, um, the dad came from other relationships, and um, there were, you know, he was abused as a child. I mean, terribly, and then, in other words, beaten with a belt, with welts all over his back all the time. And, oh, my gosh. But he's turning it around. He's becoming a good parent. And one of the most hardening things in what we do is when we run into someone who <clears throat> grew up in a really dysfunctional family or was abused, and that probably goes back generations. That's how that father was raised, and that's how his father was raised, and so on. And we really think the heroes are the guys like this guy who essentially decided, I'm going to break the pattern. I'm going to be the one who does a right-angle turn and becomes a deliberate, conscientious, positive prioritized parent, and, you know, we were saying to this guy, if you succeed and it looks like you are, you've changed your family forever. That Then that's the kind of parents your kids will be, and then that's the kind of parent their kids will be. And when you really become a better parent than your parents were, you are changing not just your own family, you're changing 
generations yet to come. And those people are really heroes, Linda. They are. You just don't realize that what you're teaching your children now is like a river that just winds through a valley and then on and on and on out of sight because we don't really see what we're creating when we do a good job with our kids or when we do a bad job with our kids. I mean, not to put anybody on a guilt trip. I mean, this was really bad stuff that we were talking about. The wife actually was living with a husband also who... um, it was just a codependent well, situation. Her mother had done that, her mother before, just as you were saying. Well, let me just say that that's, I think that's what the biblical saying means when it says the sins of the fathers are visited on the heads of the children to the third and fourth generation. You could say the tenth generation. We run into families all the time who the only way they know to raise children is abusively, and that's how they were raised, that's how their parents were raised, and it goes on and on. But I did want to say the other sad story in Barbados is, you know, about 92, 93% of the population are, are native black families. And they, their family tradition, I'm sorry to say, is so, so poor. Most of the men don't stick around. And uh, the women are single moms, and they, they try their best. A lot of the ones we talked to, were, you know, had two jobs, and they're trying to raise the kids. And and the dads are too too often an extent are off drinking, and they they want two or three women or five women, and they don't stay with any of them, and they don't pay child support. So yeah, they just go around having children without bothering to to live with the consequences. They just leave, and what a sad sad story. We were actually in St. Lucia, not Lucia. Is it Lucia? Anyway, St. Um, Lucia. Yeah, one of the, one long, of the smaller. Uh, maybe maybe four months ago or five months ago, we were finding the same thing. There were six women for every man on the island because the men just leave when they want. And the women are left there with kids and trying to support them. And, of course, this is true in the slums everywhere in the U.S., everywhere all over the world. But not to be too negative. I mean, the thing the thing we always find wherever we go, even though the statistics look bad and there's a lot of gloom and doom when you really start analyzing families in various parts of this world of ours. But we always find a lot of people who are really, really trying hard. And that's encouraging. And I think our article this coming week, Linda, in the Deseret News, is about a very interesting theory that um, is coming in a forthcoming book by... Uh, an interesting man named Alan Carlson, and essentially the theory is that good parenting and sort of family priorities and kind of traditional type families seem to flourish in 50-year cycles. And then there's 50 years where there's a decline in that sort of family, and then another 50 years it goes up again. And this, this guy that told us this theory was very interesting. He said if you look at America in... Um, 1730 to 1780, that 50-year period, that very time when America was gaining its independence, that was an enormously uh, family-centered time. The average birth rate per woman was eight children. Women got, I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad, but but the, the thing to do was to settle down, have children, raise a family. You could homestead then, so land was cheap and people felt they could have big families. Well, they yeah. needed big families to keep the farm going. Yeah, exactly. They needed to help. 
And so families flourished during that era, and America flourished. And then, and then there was 50 years when family was kind of in decline in various ways, and he gave evidences of that. And then 50 years on, 50 years off, and so on. Anyway, the bottom line is that families flourished in the 20th century <clears throat> up until for the 50 years that ended in, in about 1970. And then, as we all know, the 70s, the crazy 1970s came along, and uh, oh, people were looking for all kinds of alternative lifestyles, and it was a tough time for families. <clears throat> but that was the beginning of a 50-year cycle, and that 50-year cycle will end in 2020. So this guy's theory was that uh, we're kind of bottoming out on these trends away from family, on these trends of cohabiting, not getting married, not having children, not making commitments, uh, getting divorced, unstable relationships. He feels like we're, we're sort of at the end of that cycle, and now we're going to start to see a turning around. And in four or five years, we'll start to see a return by large percentages of the population to wanting to have children and wanting to have a stable home life. I hope, hope, hope that he's right. I don't know about that, though, because uh, we're in a lot of trouble with families all over the world. Uh, there's, we just, uh, we may have mentioned this last week, we were just in Europe and Japan, and there are no children walking around there. There are no people walking around there. I mean, the population is, is plummeting. And so what do they do? I mean, in five more years, they're going to realize that and start having children? And well, some of them are smart enough, like Germany, and we're going to get to Germany here in a minute on parenting styles, but Angela Merkel, the prime minister of Germany, is welcoming the Syrian refugees, and a lot of people think it's because she has a good heart, and maybe that is why why she's doing it, but a lot of other people think she's recognize that Germany's losing population and that they're going to have a workforce to be able to keep their industrial engine and all the great industry in Germany going. They need a workforce. So she's welcoming these Syrians, refugees, into the country because Germans aren't having babies, nor are the French, nor are the, the English, nor are the British. I mean, it really is crazy that uh, populations are plummeting no matter where you go. But, you know, I heard a, an NPR uh, program about this when the refugees, when we were hearing every single day about the refugees, and, of course, we're still hearing about the tragedy of uh, losing family members and so on, trying to get out of harm's way. But um, on, on one hand, there was a commentator that said, you know, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. They're draining our, our economy. We can't possibly take care of all these people and da 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 da. And actually, the other person was saying, "Wait, this is the biggest migration we've seen since World War II." But those people who came in in World War II were educated, bright people, and these people coming from Syria, they have to have a lot of money to get on those boats or to get out of the country. They are um, they're not wealthy, but but well they're hard workers, hard working, well educated. Uh, doctors, lawyers, and um, they are going to turn our economy around. They said that the World War II people did, and now we expect this is going to happen to us too. So I think Angela Merkel is pretty um, smart, actually. I don't know how far she's thought down the road. I don't know her, but uh, but it really is going to be interesting well, to see what, how that plays out. And immigrant populations historically are very family-centered. They come with their families. 
right. they want to raise right. they want a safe place for their families to live. I mean, think of the the Mormon uh, immigrants who who came from uh, Europe and who crossed the plains and so on. They were not only industrious people who wanted to build a, a community and build a life. They were family-centered people. Well, so, and they had a lot of grit. They kept having families, and they supported each other, and they had a moral ethic and so on. And so um, hopefully this is what's going to be happening. So we're going to – the reason we called this show Island Parenting is we wanted to talk about different parenting styles. We haven't really gotten that too to that too much, but we will in the second half of the show – I mean, it really is different how people raise their kids in the Caribbean, for example, versus how they raise their kids on this little island we're on now, Manhattan. Manhattan. And then we we all, sorry, we want to also get into, uh, we really want to get into an interesting article we read recently about the German parenting model, which will surprise some of you. Yeah, but it's very interesting. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. If you missed the first half, we're here in Manhattan Island uh, with our son and daughter-in-law and two little grandchildren having a ball. We just came from the island of Barbados and we learned a lot, didn't we? Yeah, and we're heading up to the island of Boston. That's going to be hard to think of that as an island, I'm afraid, but... We got another daughter up there and a beautiful family, and we're going to go see them and uh, hang out with our four little Bostonian grandchildren. But what we started saying in the first half, it's fascinating how how parents in different parts of the world seem to teach us a lot about different parenting styles. And I read an article, I wish I'd kept the reference, but uh, you can Google German parenting, and I think you'll this article was fairly prominent and it was the whole theory that a a lot of times the attitude among sort of old line German families is the most important thing you can give to kids is independence. So what you've got to do is let them roam around by themselves. Don't be so worried about it's kind of the opposite of helicopter parenting. Don't hover over them. Let them get out and do things and let them take some risks. If they're going to climb a tree, don't, don't yell at them, let them climb the tree and, and if they fall out and break an arm, that's better to have a broken arm than to have uh, a kind of a timid uh, spirit that's afraid of everything. And, and you, know, I'll, you know, I'll give you some more details from the article in a minute. But we, we're thinking how, how very different that is from a lot of this, what you see now in America, which is often called helicopter parenting or hovering around and protecting them in every way and, and uh, you know, being so distraught about any potential danger that the kids tend to grow up in some cases uh, without this independent, adventuresome spirit, which may be the thing that makes a difference in their lives. Well, it's interesting because we've been in several countries the last few months, and we were in Spain with our son and daughter-in-law, who live there right at the moment, and they just put their kids in school uh, in September, and um, it was 
so interesting because they, they, they could get on a bus. This bus was like a giant tour bus. It's the biggest bus you've ever seen. It didn't look anything like a school bus. And that's <laughs> their school bus. Little four-year-old getting on there to go to the preschool at, at the school, which was all day, which is crazy. And um, so, but they get on there. She got on with her two other siblings. And um, then the after they kind of knew the route, their, their dad, just they were about three blocks away from their house, sidewalk all the way. So the dad didn't show up to pick him up after about the third day. And they kept him on the bus. They took him back to the school and called the dad and said, you have to be there. You have to be there waiting for your child. And she gets, they get off the bus. Your children, in this case, there was a 12-year-old who certainly could guide them home. But anyway. But that's the contrast. See, because that's the contrast. Because the, what Jonah was telling me, this is our son, is that the kids in Switzerland, well, we lived in England for a long time, too, and all the parents put their kids in the prams, their babies in the prams, and walk their kids to school every morning. But then in Switzerland, the parents are not allowed to go with the children, starting from kindergarten. I think. I mean, yeah, they maybe. want the kids. The government is actually a strange thing. The government's almost dictating the kind of parenting people do by saying, you know, let the kids walk to school. Let them walk to the bus stop. We don't need a bunch of parents congregating and hanging around. We're trying to build these kids into little individuals who can take care of themselves. You can probably get away with it in Switzerland because it's such a safe place. You know, yeah, there's really true. nothing going on that they, they don't know about in Switzerland. But, but in Germany, from this article, I don't know if that's a general. Yeah, we're we're yeah we're we're generalizing a little here, and we apologize for that. Obviously, every parent is different, and so on. But the norms, the sort of norms of parenting in different cultures, even right next to each other, can be really fascinating. Because this this whole German theory is, you know, if you if you hover too much and if you protect too much. You really squelch the child. And is there some risk in, you know, letting them do a few more things and not being so worried and, and hovering? And, and the answer is yes. You know, you might have a, an injury. You might have, a, you might have some anxiety when you don't know where they are. But the, this theory is, hey, you're trying to, you, you're, as a parent, you're trying to work your way out of a job eventually because you want your children to be able to take care of themselves. And the sooner the better. Well, moving on to the island we're on right now, which is Manhattan, we have this adorable, of course, we're not one bit prejudiced, but honestly, she's the cutest thing you've ever seen, two-and-a-half-year-old. She takes her little scooter down with her. We're at a five-story walk-up, no no elevator. That little girl gets herself down all five flights of stairs. With her scooter. And... The mom carries the baby and the stroller and all that other stuff, all the snacks and everything, and they, she goes on down. And then when we first got here six months ago, I thought, there's no way that child could ride that scooter. I mean, how far will she get, like 10 feet? <laughs> oh, my gosh. She gets on there, and she puts one little foot on the scooter and one pushing off on the ground, and she just takes off. She has her little helmet on, just like you know, a bicycle. They're going to have to get a leash for her, though, because they can't keep up with her. They oh literally gosh. can't keep up with her. I mean, they her. do have their rules about when they when they yell red light, no matter where they are, that means she has to stop. So we did that in Central Park several times yesterday. But honestly, this little kid goes along, and she'll, she'll be three, I guess, in just a few months. But she goes along, and she scoots that one thing, and then she sticks her leg up the back like, 
a pro. Like she's been born on this thing. And she just waves in and out of people. And she has a little pair of purple glasses that she wears all the time. And curly, curly blonde hair. And it's just about the cutest thing you've ever seen. Well, and it sort of illustrates the next point I was going to make, Linda, which is that you know, these parenting models are, are interesting when you contrast different countries, different cultures, and so on. But, of course, the best parenting model for any family is one that is designed to fit the particular child that's involved, like like using little Zara, who Linda's talking about as an example. You, you wouldn't need any encouragement for Zara to be independent. I mean, she no. would just take off. When we were in a restaurant the other day, and she got it in her mind she wanted to go outside, and she was heading outside. I mean, she has no fear of anything. And with and with kids like that, of course, you have to try to build into them some caution. Otherwise, they're going to go kill themselves. I mean, they're just they're just independent little little reckless souls. And there are kids like that. On the other end of the spectrum, you have kids that are very timid and won't even look at another person and uh, clearly they need a different model. So we're not trying to suggest there's some wonderful model of parenting that works for all kids. The best model is one that parents have designed based on that particular child, which is interesting because you may well have one child who's one way and one who's another way. And the, honestly, see if you agree with this, Linda. I think the best parents we run into are the ones who say, no, we're not going to be the same with all the kids. No, we're not going to be fair, quote unquote, and have the exact same reward and the exact same punishment and the exact same ex- expectations for each of our children because we recognize that they're very, very different from each other. We're going to try to have a separate parenting model for each child. And then, of course, that begs the question, what do you do when the, when the child or one of the children says, well, that's not fair. I, you did a different thing with him than with me. And I guess the answer would have to be, well, you're going to be a parent someday, and we hope you'll have the sense to really understand each of your children and treat them each as individuals. Well, coming from uh, parents who have a large family, though, there are certain things, just a few certain things that everybody has to abide by. No matter what their personality, we call those family laws. That sure, you got to have some, I mean, you've some have systems. Some set things, but everybody can't be treated exactly the same. It really is so funny to see how different children are and how different they are. The first child and the last child, right? I mean, the first child, our youngest daughter will never let us forget this. When our first child went off to college, uh, she was in Boston at Wellesley College, a girl girls college. We knew she was safe, but I wrote to her every single day. I had a package of postcards, and I just wrote her a postcard mm-hmm. every first, single day. The first day. child syndrome. Then by the time we got to number nine, we sent her off to Wellesley. It was like, bye, have fun. I know you're going to be great. I mean, by then, you, <laughs> you know your kid well enough. You know the situation well enough that you know it's going to be fine. But, and the ideal is probably somewhere in between. Right, exactly. But honestly, those first and last kids, you know, the... Kids, your older kids come home and say, are you kidding? You let her do that? I can't believe that. You would never let me do that one. Because, you know, things change. Kids change. Circumstances change. And also parents change. Well, that's really true. And uh, let's talk island parenting a little more. Linda, the island of Singapore, that's an interesting parenting place. That's a place where, guess what? Their birth rate is 0.6. In other words, 
the average woman has 0.6 of a child. You need How to have, you have half a child. Well, that's what I you, know, you need. You have to have 2.1 children per couple is is the rate that will maintain a stable population. So imagine if you're at 0.6, your population's declining rapidly. And I think Linda, you mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago in, in Singapore. There's a $20,000 bonus in cash for everyone that has a child because they're, they're, the government is working so hard to encourage parents to have more children. And that, that takes us full circle back to one of the theories we're trying to weave in here, which is that we have been in a time of decline in terms of the Western part of our world, people not wanting children, people not wanting marriage. And we've got a lot of countries with a declining birth rate because of it, but we think that's bottoming out. And I'm going to give you some some symptoms we see in a minute after Linda speaks on why we think that trend is now ending. Well, um, I do have to say that I don't think they hand them twenty thousand dollars in cash. I work out sure how I they do. They that. do. I you, think you they do. do. Well, yeah. before everybody rushes off, <clears throat> probably you have to be a Singaporean. People are getting their tickets for Singapore. You probably have to be a native. <laughs> if you're pregnant, go to Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, um, it really is fun though to, to see that suddenly people are scrambling, realizing what is happening to their population. I mean, we're so gratified to see that finally China has realized that they're going to have no workforce in 20 years because they've had this one-child policy. They've relaxed that policy now. Did you know that, listeners? You can now have two children. I think children they probably have. Time. Yeah, you can now have two children, and which is wonderful because, um, you know, that's they're going to need that. But mostly for the child thing, my gosh, these kids, they call them little emperors and little empresses because... That one child is hovered over by two parents and two sets of grandparents at the very least. And aunts and uncles and people who don't have children at all, it's just crazy. They're showered with everything they could possibly want. This is not good for for society. Linda, where does the time go? We're just about out of time. This hours on the road is just too short of a show. We've got so much more to say. I was I was anxious to go through some positive trends and on a high note of why we believe that the sort of trend away from families is running out of gas and and some things that indicate to us that this a new era of positive parenting we'll is coming. We'll just give them a couple. We'll, we'll, do, one we'll let's do, no, we don't, where the music's starting to play, but I'll tell you what, we will do that next week. In fact, and we're writing it on, in the Deseret News this week, and so next week's show, I'll tell you in advance, is going to be positive trends in parents and families. And that'll be fun to talk about because that's what we need. Good luck and thanks to all of you who have great families out there and done a great job. Talk to you next week on Fires on the Road.